Hi, thanks for listening to my podcast. Let me introduce you with Jane Milton. I've been working with food businesses for 35 years and now I'm taking you behind the scenes in my business to connect with some of the great specialists, entrepreneurs and producers that we work with to hear how we create strategies that inspire business and how we help them create the perfect teams for specific projects and for their business as it grows so that they can get great results faster and much more cost effectively with our support than they would on their own. I truly believe the food industry in the UK has some of the best people in it and I'm lucky enough to know and work with the very best of those. Let me introduce you to Marlena Spieler, the food writer who started to chat with me one day on a train from London to Bristol and then encouraged me to join the Guild of Food Writers. Marlena has produced more than 70 cookbooks as well as contributing to Bon Appetit, Saveur and the San Francisco Chronicle. Her interest and curiosity about food has seen her write on Jewish food and culture, potatoes, barbecuing or grilling as she would say and she wrote the deliciously titled Grilled Cheese 50 Recipes to Make You Melt. She's travelled to understand and experience food from China to Naples to Mexico and was asked to be an ambassador for the UN Year of the Potato Conference in Peru. Marlena is currently writing her memoir I can't wait. Her excitement about food, cooking, recipe writing and sharing recipes and food with others is palpable in everything she talks about or makes. Let me introduce you to Marlena. So Marlena, hello. And I am so excited that I've got you onto my podcast. Oh, Jane, it's so nice to be here. Such a pleasure. I love your podcast because I love you. Let's face it. Oh, Bless you. Well, I remembered that you and I met on a train. And funnily enough, this morning, I've been listening to something on the radio and they're saying, should you talk to people if you don't know them? And all these things about starting conversations with people. Now, you and I met on a train to Bristol and <laughs> you were attracted by the fact that I had um, like a toolbox with me, which very clearly had all the tools of food styling in it. And and that's what we started a conversation about. And from there, you encouraged me to join the Guild of Food Writers. And, you know, so I'm eternally grateful oh. to you for for speaking to me on a train because of all the strange things you could see in my kit box. So funny, isn't it? And I think you were coming down to Bristol because you were going to teach a cookery class or something. Yes. Does that, yes. does and, that sound likely? And that class was great. <laughs> it was oh. it was so much fun. What did you teach or what were you teaching there? <laughs> uh, it's amazing when you think back and you go like, yeah. oh, yeah, what did I teach? What even what subject was it? But it was yep. Mexican food. Oh, and, brilliant. Yeah, and I know that as close to your heart as it is mine. Very much so. Oh, heart and, and stomach. <laughs> well, where it belongs. Yeah. I mean, it's just such, uh, yeah, I just feel like always a privilege, a privilege to be near the tortillas and the beans. And I just wish I knew more and more, but it's so good. And such a misunderstood cuisine, because I think most people here think Tex-Mex is mm. Mexican. Yeah. And then they think everything's fried and 
You know, and I mean, it couldn't be further from the truth, but it's a shame that that's the snapshot that has stuck with people here. And that's been, that actually was one of my missions when I started out on trying to share really good Mexican food. Like even frying. No, they didn't even fry before the Europeans came. They didn't have cheese. And so how do we, you know, interpret Mexican food. Oh, just fry it and cover it with cheese. But (laughs) (laughs) so I'm afraid it's what we do with most cuisines, though, isn't it? When we bring them here, we adulterate them completely. And I uh, posted something last week about a recipe that somebody was saying was a pizza, but it was, um, I mean, it was lovely. It was a dessert, but it was not a pizza. And, and it had, peanut butter on it and things, you know, and I said, I'm sure any Italian is squirming at the idea that <laughs> I've just called this a pizza, but it, it wasn't my recipe, but it, but it was a, and it was the, the theme of one of the days last week was pizza with anything day. And I had seen this dessert and just thought it was lovely, but it is that thing we do where we call something, something that it isn't. And then people completely get confused about what that thing really is. And something like, you know, Mexican food, which is so, so incredibly varied and a, such a rich cuisine. And pizza, I mean, it's a UNESCO heritage food. Yes. It's the heart and soul of Naples. And, you know, okay, nothing wrong with doing this or that. But, you know, don't call it pizza. No, and, that's it. Yeah. And, you know, it's, I'm sure it's delicious, but it's not pizza. No, that's it. And if they just called it a sweet dessert, that would have been a lot better. And I did wonder even because, you know, through some of the work that's been being done on the Guild about naming of recipes and what you should do and shouldn't do, I'm very aware about calling things something when, when they're not that thing. And I was really kind of going, what can I do about this? I want to I want to reference this recipe somebody else has yes. called it a pizza but I think at least if you have that conversation in your piece that I don't really think this should be a pizza but it's a nice recipe so it, it you know it's a respect and it's also just like the right thing to do for the eater never mind yep. the person or the culture that it came from absolutely that's, that's like really important but it's also You know, you want to know that it's, you know, I want to know that my Peking duck, that when I go to Beijing, I'm going to know a bit about it and I'm going to know what to expect and I'm not going to. And then they change this, that and the other thing, the way the buns are, etc. But basically, you know, you have respect for the 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 original recipe. Absolutely. Yeah. And for and for the elements that were key to it i think that's the big thing isn't it it, cauliflower crust does not make a pizza i just have to say that please forgive me but neither does pineapple no 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 i know that one that is the never ever tell an italian hawaiian is a real pizza a neapolitan yes absolutely (laughs) sorry yes now tell me to get back to you how do you describe your food career? Your what? What would you say you had done for a huge number of years? What? How would you describe or sum that up? Well, you know, the thing is, the last ten years, 
10 years ago, I had a really bad accident. Yes. And so I've, I've really had to, to like work nonstop on becoming myself again. Yeah. And, you know, what I do is also what I earn a living doing. Yes. And that's, you know, cooking and making sure that the dishes are, they're really good, you know, really good for the, if you go in the kitchen and you make it and it doesn't turn it and it turns out disgusting, I don't want to, you know, it, that would break my heart. And Absolutely. so I had to relearn everything and, and even why yeah. write a recipe, you know, what does it involve? And, and then the stories behind it, all of the, all of the cultural stuff and then my own stuff. I'm writing a memoir, by the way. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Yeah. But, you know, I've been taking part this month in some of the days that the Guild has been doing this 30 Days of Delicious Challenge that they've been doing. Yeah. And what I've been loving is reading beside people's pictures why this picture made them think of rice or what the picnic was for or where they, you know, where, where they found cassava and did I know? No, I didn't. That tapioca and cassava are the same thing. Yes. And it's been fascinating, but I just, I love all the stories that we have around food. And I think, yeah. you know, I, going through my mum's recipe book, mum and I were away recently somewhere and we had some baking in a coffee shop. And I said to her, that's that thing that you used to make that has chocolate and cornflakes in the bottom of it and then something else. And I said, we could make this again, but 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 this is what's different about it. And then we went and found her recipe and I was laughing with her about her recipe because it has a cup of something, two ounces of something, a handful of something else. And I'm like, okay, clearly whoever you got this recipe from was just telling you off the top of their head at the time. And it's and then I said to her, and then mum, there's icing and there's absolutely no mention of any quantities for it whatsoever. <laughs> and so we were killing ourselves laughing about it. But I love all those recipes that she's got that I know people at church gave her, family friends gave her, yeah. women that she knew through women's networking groups, you know, mothers, mother and toddler groups and things gave her. And a lot of these people aren't here anymore. Or if they are, she's not been in touch with them for a long time. But they're still alive from those recipes. Yes. Well, you know, that that is just exactly on the dot. And it's almost every a lot of cultures who have lost this tradition but not completely lost it they still have this you know they need to re embrace it for maximum yes. happiness and you know for community yes uh, what i found when i was writing my book on jewish heritage uh, was that i went i visited so many communities all over the world and many of them were not there anymore most of them were completely gone but the the, the survivors went someplace yes. else and they started yep. up again and they took these traditional recipes and redid it in the new country and, and adapted and, it to what they could get in the new country too yeah exactly because you know recipes are not they're not really made in amber, you know, set no. in stone. They change and, and we change. 
And it's wonderful. You know, when you get a taste of something and you say, oh, my God, my my grandmother made this or. Yes. Oh, that that scent of smoke, you know, it just reminds me of, you know, a, a cookout in the park. I know. And it's so powerful. Guide cam in my. Yeah. <laughs> the, and, that coming home smelling of bonfire, oh, completely immune to the fact that you did because everyone else you'd been with did too. Yeah. You know, but I mean, those smells really spark memories, don't they? Yeah. And the smell of chicken soup, if you grew up yes. with that, that's, or, you know, probably baking. It's just so important. It's, and that's why, you know, taking somebody else's culture is, is just not right unless no. you pay homage to it. Yes. Like you and I both appreciate lots of different culinary cultures all over yep. the world. And I write about them and I have written about many. And, you know, I always feel like, I just am so privileged and I always feel like if I take something from this, I have to then share it and yes. tell people what it is, where it came from and why, why it's so good and, and how it evolves. Everything evolves. Cooking is so amazing. Yes. And, and everybody has their own memories of, you know, if you say Christmas cake, everybody thinks of, the Christmas cake that their mother made, grandmother made, yeah. auntie made, whoever, or the one that they always bought if they didn't make yes. one. Or, yes. and, and that's why when people say, you know, this isn't a Christmas cake recipe or, you know, you, you think, well, you've got to remember how many, you know, how varied they were. And it's like hot sauce or, oh. you know, anything that's part of somebody's cooking heritage will be very different for each of them because of those influences on them. And it's like, ah, it just gives us so much to appreciate other people's cuisines. You know, when you sit down with someone and they feed you something oh. from their heart, you know, oh my God, everything about it is like, first of all, you're together They've yes. done this beautiful thing for you. Food keeps us alive. Food is sociable. And also you're alive and healthy enough to eat. Yes. You know, and you're special. You're special. They care enough to do this for you. It's just to have done that for you. That's it. It's, yeah. it's such a big thing. I, I think a few years ago now, I was asked to eat from a food bank for a week. Yes. Um, to understand how limiting that was. And the thing that really struck me right away was how isolating it was because I only had enough food for me. I couldn't mm. share it with anyone. And also to know that you couldn't choose what you ate, that you were completely at the mercy of what other people donated. And at that time, there were a number of Syrian refugees coming here and certainly around London in a lot of the charities and things that, that in fact the charity that that I was doing this for were working with a lot of them and I thought what must they make of oh. tinned potatoes and no no seasonings in things yes. and none of those familiar flavors and things and I hadn't really realized how emotionally connected I am I mean I I'm I love food 
I never, you know, the whole, my mum will say, oh, I don't know if I'm hungry. And I'm like, I don't think I'm hungry, but I, I never even ask myself, am I hungry? If something interests me, I would want to eat it. Yeah. And, and, but just then, you know, I was so struck by how miserable it must be that you're totally reliant on somebody else choosing food for you. So growing up, what, what what did you start your career doing? When did you know you wanted it to be around food and drink? You know, when did that all happen for you? Well, you know, I really didn't. You know, growing up, it was my grand. Well, my grandmother was such a wonderful cook, and I think so many of us feel that way about my grandmother, about yep. our grandmothers, our grandmothers. Yeah, yeah. but really. So I just liked hanging around with her in the kitchen. It was such a lovely place, but I never, and my grandfather had this big organic garden. He was Russian and, you know, we just had this otherworldly kitchen and garden and it was great. Where was that that you were growing up? Yeah, Sacramento, California in the Central Valley and everything just grew. It was like throw some seeds in the earth and then just, it's all going to grow the tomatoes, the oranges. It was, it was great. But, you know, my own parents' food was really more uh, confusing and they were this new generation and it was like, don't eat it. It's fattening. Don't eat it. It's old country. Don't ever eat a pickle because people will think you're not American. And, you know, except Mexican food was okay. Yes. That's <laughs> funny. Oh, and it was like, yeah. And it was like Mexican food and Chinese food were home. If it wasn't my grandmother's kitchen, it was Mexican food and Chinese food. And those, that to me was my, my food. Yeah. But no, I never was going to do anything in the kitchen. I was an artist and I painted and I drew and I went to art school. But first I went to Israel for a year. Right. And the first year, the first, I swear, the first day that I walked into the market, Machane Yehuda, I was, oh, the spices and the hot pita bread in wheelbarrows the guy would be putting you know running it from the ovens to the shop where it was selling and everything was and then there were you know juice from all over the world and they 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 had brought all of their cuisines and there was you know the arabic food which was so unifying and everything about it was just so fantastic when i came back and went to art school i could see that i was a much better cook then I was an artist my my art just <laughs> died but I you know cooking was there for me I couldn't believe it uh you just put this together with that and you ended up with something magic and uh, so to me I wanted to share that and that meant I'll just write down a recipe I'll write down what I did and Within a year, I had a book contract. And what was that first book? Well, the first book was called Naturally Good, and it was Faber and Faber. Yep. Great. And it was hand hand illustrated. And a lot of the recipes are still 
they're still my go-to recipes. And a lot of the recipes are like very kind of, mo- I mean, you know, auto lang. they wouldn't be amiss in an auto langy piece. Of course, because his influences were very similar to, to oh, the yeah. same ones that yeah. you had. So, yeah. But I mean, it's, it is really funny. I was about 17. Mm. So when I look at these recipes, I'm like, well, how did I know this was what I wanted to eat? How do I know, did I know other people were going to want to eat it? And it was, yeah, it was great. It was really good. Oh, that's wonderful. And then after that, of course, I couldn't get another book published for a good decade. Goodness. But, but that, then when did you start your newspaper columns and things yeah. then? Well, it was 1985, way that back. Is, that seems recent to me. I know. <laughs> You're saying know. way back. I'm like, oh, so it is. But I haven't thought that it was. Yeah. <laughs> to me, it's like, wait, isn't this the 80s? <laughs> I know. I, it's shocking. Oh, bless you. But, but, and that was in San Francisco. Yeah. Or for the San Francisco. San Francisco. So I had a catering business. Well, I started a very illegal catering business, <laughs> <laughs> which was hilarious. And oh my God, the stories I could tell. But uh, you would need another podcast. Um, well, maybe I have to have you back for that one then. <laughs> oh, 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 the things that went on. But anyway, it was great. And it was, I loved all the cooking. And then I was working for, uh, I taught classes at, uh, like a sort of big chic houseware place that also made walks and they had a walk teacher. So it was like she would come in once a week and do a, a walk class and I would help. I would be her assistant. And, you know, within six months, I was like, yes, I always knew this was my food. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. And I think oh, uh, I, fabulous? I got, I got so much, um, praise from her for my green onion flat cakes. And yep. I really cherish that. Oh, isn't that lovely though? What an encouragement. Anyway, that, so that was, yeah, I was in San Francisco and I was like, you know, catering and I was teaching and I had this book. Oh, by then I had a book called Hot and Spicy that came out. It was a James Beard award winner way back. I think it was the year before James Beard, but it had another name, but it mm. was the winner. Anyhow, a winner. So that was great, but I couldn't get published anywhere in the newspapers. And I, I, I had a little spot in the LA Times and I had a little spot in the Chicago Sun Times, but I really wanted to get into the San Francisco Chronicle and the, the editor hated me. <laughs> she hated me with all of her heart, which, oh, you know, it's, it's terrible. It still happens. It's so silly. Yep. And then. And then she retired. And then I sent a note. I sent a query to her, her successor. Didn't hear back. And I'm like, oh, this is just going to be, I may as well give up. And I swear, I got down on the floor and I laid down on the floor and I said, okay, I give up. The, I, it's never going to happen. I got to think about something else. I'll just cater more, but I really want to reach people. And the phone rang. Oh no. Yes. And it was like, 
is, you know, this is Michael Bauer from the San Francisco Chronicle. Would you, you know, I got your letter. Would you like to write for us? And I'm like, I don't believe this. That's incredible, isn't it? Isn't it wonderful? Yeah. yeah. And that was just, you know, I was still on the floor kind of like <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't even gotten up. Um, and your column there went on for a long time. So it just shows you how popular it was. Thank goodness you you yeah. got that opportunity. Yeah. So I did features and then I kept doing some more books. And I moved to the UK in 1989, which still seems like yesterday. Yep. I, I know. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and when I... I used to have, well, I have my little lamb chop now, mm -hmm. little Jack Russell, but we did have three at one point. And sometimes yes. when I would be coming back into the UK, the customs officers would say, you know, they always ask, why are you in the UK? What are you doing? And they're like, what are you doing in the UK? So I would say, I have three Jack Russells. I think that qualifies me. To be yeah, British. And absolutely. they were like, they were like, oh, right this way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny, isn't it? I know you've always been a great animal lover too, which is lovely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good. I know. And that's a very well looked after dog. I know. I, yeah. I follow on the adventures of <laughs> Lamb Chop and what she gets to eat. And, <gasps> oh, so she, cute. Oh, so no. She's a one. She is a one. A food writer's dog, I think, has the best role ever, you know. I had forgotten to take dog treats somewhere yesterday and I went looking for something that I could give the dogs and I bought yeah. um, plain popcorn without any sugar or anything on it. And then I also bought a small packet of ready salted crisps. Little do the dogs know at the moment that crisps are not there has been a huge shortage of crisps here apparently anyway i managed to get both and one of them stuck her tongue out licked the edge of a crisp and declared them not something she fancied yesterday oh. <laughs> they're oh. just so funny because and then i could see her on the train stretching to get somewhere and i looked to see what she's stretching for Somebody else's crisp that they had <laughs> dropped because clearly the flavour of that suited her better. Mm. Well, um, it is so funny. They are just such little well, lamb personalities, chop. aren't oh, they? It, it, it's such a blessing. I mean, I hate to yep. use the word blessing because it's, you know, but dogs, yeah. who knew? I had no idea. And, you know, I always like them. They're cute. They're adorable. They're good. But when I got my own dogs, my life was changed forever. forever. They're just amazing. But I will say this, Lamb Chop has been known to leap into the fridge. She's not very big and grab the <laughs> butter. And then oh, if no. you're trying to take it away from her, she bites you. Oh. I know. And when we still had Jake, oh, mm. the blessed Jake, yes. poor little fellow. He um he and Chops got the Thanksgiving turkey one year and they dragged it around. I did post, I have photos somewhere of the two of them on the couch with the turkey. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, oh, I mean, they goodness. worked together like professionals. Yeah. And they dragged like a, that turkey. A team. <laughs> it wasn't easy to get it back. 
No, I can imagine. Oh, that's priceless, isn't it? It is. It's just great. Role models. You talk about the the woman with the walk and the encouragement that she gave you, the woman who was demonstrating the walks. Tell me about other people who've inspired you and, and why they've inspired you. Well, I was trying to think of this and I there were so many people along the way who yeah. were sincere and yes. believed what they were doing. And those were the people I was attracted to and they were role models. Um, yep. Paula Wolfert, the food writer, she is someone who you know, has meant a great deal to me professionally because she validated me. She loved my stuff. She, you know, and I thought so highly encouragement. Yeah. Yeah. That I was like, you know, just so, yeah. So she was definitely, and, um, oh, and Rhoda Yee, my first Chinese cooking teacher. Yes. Oh man. She, she ended up being um, the the chef, the teacher for eight Chinese food at the California Culinary Academy. And people Gosh. would say, oh, she's tough. Chef Yi, oh. When we see Chef Yi, we get like, oh, we hope. We'll... She was always so nice to me. You know. She could see your passion, I'm sure, as well. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe she, yeah, I don't know. But all I know is that she was a a great role model. My grandmother, it it wasn't even about the food. She was, as a person, such a, such a big person. And she saved a lot of people's lives in America during the war in a sort of convoluted way. She encouraged, oh, 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 yeah, she encouraged Mark Spitz's, um, parents to, you know, keep him swimming. I mean, Shh. it, it the, the guy who invented the digital camera, apparently yep. she had something that she helped with. She was amazing. She was a great influence for a lot of people. Oh, obviously. yeah. Yeah. And she yeah. worked until she was 19, 19. She worked until she was 94. She Goodness. ate. Yeah. And, and then that was also when she died a few months later. But she, um, she loved chocolate, dark chocolate, you know, and coffee. <laughs> I mean, Good she had her. real loves but she was and she was gorgeous she was just a pleasure to be around and i suppose it's that feeling of wanting to be around her that yep. was so inspirational i i mean to me i want people to feel you know like it's fun to be around me <laughs> cuz it certainly <laughs> is and oh. it's inspiring i I always think that, and you know, whenever anyone on the guild asks, can anyone tell me about this or help me with this? You're often one of the first people to respond and share stuff and be helpful. You're amazing. But I will always remember that I met you on a train (laughs) and you encouraged me to join the Guild of Food Writers, which is incredible, really. And then, you know, agreed that if I needed somebody to to second my nomination yes. or anything, that you would do that for me, which yeah. is lovely, you well, know. And I, and that 
that group has been such a great thing for me particularly the online side of it has been super and and through lockdown some of the workshops and things they've put on you know they've been incredible really so yeah I mean when I met you I have to say I just thought this this girl (laughs) this girl has (laughs) such great vibes you know just she's a pleasure to be around (laughs) Thank you very much. Well, you know. that's that's exactly how I would hope that people feel. And, and I think, you know, sharing food with people does that too, doesn't it? And that's why we both love to love to cook and feed people and yes. share things with people. And well, so, when I see that's... people, you know, writing these really negative restaurant reviews, etc., it breaks my heart. I mean, yep. it's just such a bad influence. It's yeah. just like, like, ah, sometimes I think, what can I do to counteract this, which is nothing, but, you know, no. just, it's, yeah, it's just, a, it's much better if you can draw on the positive things about something, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I know somebody who used to blog about where he'd eaten and he said, if I don't like it, I just don't blog about it. And I thought that's a lovely way to be because it keeps your blog positive and, yeah. you know, and, and then people know that these places are good because you've written about them. They can make their own assumptions about others or choose to go to them and they might find them different. And, you know, but it's um, it's good. I think it's a good way to be. What What's really great is when people are really appreciative. I mean, when, you know, if like you, me, we do something, we help someone out, we push them along. You, yes. You don't do it for, you know, um, the glory or whatever. No. But when every so often somebody appreciates it so much, it's just like it makes me cry. In fact, I have tears in my eyes Aww. at the moment. And I have to tell you one thing. In Naples... Yes. Well, you know Baba, the cake Baba. Oh, my God. Uh. Just squishy with Mm. rum and so delicious. So I met a Baba baker in in Naples, and his Baba is, I really think it's like nothing else in the world. Amazing. And I wrote about it for an American magazine, which was Savar, which was a big deal at the time. Yes, of course. Yes. but so then the next time I was in Naples, I got this call from this friend of mine. She said, he heard you were in Naples. <laughs> he uh, He's called the press. We're having a press conference. I know. And yes, and I got there. And indeed, there was a press conference. The woman who introduced Baba to America. <laughs> How wonderful. And there were babas everywhere. And I I just, uh, it was like. Isn't just, that wonderful to uh, see the impact that something yeah. you'd written had had yes. on somebody? How yeah. amazing. It's just like, oh, mm. let me be like this person. And like, oh, thank God I could sell that story. Because look, yes. look at what a difference it made. It made for uh, him. So. Too much of what is never enough. What's the ingredient that you can't get enough of or love the flavor of or uh, think think it enriches everything that you have? What's your... It, that is really tough. And I did think <laughs> about it. And I have a list, right? This, okay. no, cross off, this, no, no. <laughs> I, I might have to say 
a cheese platter. Cheese ah, on a platter, no matter how cheese. many cheeses you have, it's never enough. And also because you're taking little tiny pieces yep. and you're savoring them. Oh, I would say, and that's probably because I'm going cheese to Paris is never next enough. week. Good. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. I'm glad that you're getting to travel oh, yeah. there. Yeah. So I would say it's, it's cheese. cheese. During lockdown... I found a guy who was doing a month by month called Francis Gimblet, who knows a lot about cheese and, uh, and actually is a wine. It, he's, his main trade was as a master of wine, but because yeah. of that, he'd got interested in cheese and he was highlighting British cheese producers during lockdown. Mm. And he would send you two pieces of cheese once a month on a Friday. Uh, and then we'd all get on Zoom with the cheese maker. Mm. And hear from them mm. what they'd done because, you know, a lot of small artisan cheese producers were in trouble during lockdown because they sell all their cheese to restaurants and restaurants were yeah. shut. Yeah. And a lot of people that had laid down soft cheese and things had to discover what would happen if it became hard cheese because it was going to be a long time before they could sell it and had to change what they were making with their milk. Because, of course, you can't just turn I your cows or your sheep or your goats off because nobody wants cheese, you oh. know. I and, but I loved hearing their stories and it, it was a phenomenal thing. It was great. And Scotland. Yes. Had, uh, so I gave a talk once in Lanark. Yep. About, about potatoes. Lanark, and, ah. and the, um, the Lanark blue cheesemaker was there. Yes. Oh, uh, so he brought cheese, of course. <laughs> Of course, and, uh, perfect combination, uh, potato and cheese. Oh, such mm. such incredible cheese, you know. And he yes. was saying, well, it has to be at exactly the right. And it's true, and that's what a good cheesemaker or a baker, a bread baker will say. It has to have the right weather, the right everything. And I remember that the cheese that night was ah, so good. And I think that's the thing too about getting cheese through a cheesemonger yeah. or somebody like that who knows exactly when a cheese is ripe and isn't just, yeah. you know, packing something very, very fresh so that they can get the longest shelf life or the heaviest yield weight mm. or, you know, those kind of things. The, 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 the craftsmanship of being a good cheesemonger yeah. is, is a great thing, isn't it? I have a pleasure of meeting through my tea client, a lovely woman called Betty Coster, who's been on my podcast, actually. But I met her doing tea and cheese pairings and she runs mm. uh, cheesemongers in Amsterdam. Oh. And she, I, you know, I could be with her for hours eating cheese, talking about them, trying them with different teas, hot and cold, you know, understanding the difference that tasting that tea along with the cheese makes to the cheese is phenomenal. But um, but that is such a real skill. And it is something that that is lost when you buy prepackaged cheese or even cheese from a cheese counter in a supermarket. And part of the reason I was discovering is that even a really good cheese counter at a supermarket that's the cheese is, is kept at too cold of a temperature. It does. Which it has to be for 
for safety. environmental health requirements exactly. and food safety requirements. But it's not, I mean, if you go into somebody's cheese cave, mm. the, the temperature in those rooms is always warmer or most, most often warmer than that because they're letting the cheese live. And so yeah. even if you taste it at their counter, you'll not get the same flavor from it as no. you would if it had been at the right temperature. It's a sad thing, isn't it? Because, I mean, it was made, you know, the reason for making milk into cheese was to preserve it. So they've kind of lost that in it. Yeah. But what's the best thing that you've eaten recently? Well, it's funny you should ask that. I did have some apois oh. not long ago. And it was, <laughs> you know, I've been trying to get good cheese here. And it's been a nightmare. Yeah. And it just... Even even going to some of the supermarkets that had it, but nobody had anything for a long time. And I would get things sent from try this cheesemonger, that cheesemonger, but I wasn't super happy with any of them, really. Mm-hmm. Some of them were good, but anyway. So Alan came home. Alan's my husband. He came home mm-hmm. with um, a, an apoise that he the last one that he found, Marks and Spencer's, and it was so good. It was so it was just right. a perfect but, point of rightness. Uh, and it, that, you know, and it's like, I love Apois. Size is just perfect. And you yes. can just have, you know, you could just sort of eat your way through it in a couple of days. And oh, it just, that was fantastic. But I have to say, I also had some Hungarian, spicy Hungarian salami. Oh, wow. And that was amazing. Good old little, you know, they're yes. brilliant. And then, oh, it's yeah, I had some things, Turkish yeah. delight last night, in fact. And it was oh. just, I had had it in my handbag for a long time because you know how it is. You're like, I'm really going to want that one day. And I love Turkish delight, even when it's. You know, it's just this hit of sweet and perfume. Yep. But this one, I wish I could remember where I got it. <laughs> it was, the inside was almost, it was soft and delicate. The outside mm-hmm. was lovely and, you know, that sort of sugared, slightly hard, yep. whatever. But the inside yep. was just so delicate. So that was also one of the most delicious thing. things. Lamb Chop would like to tell you that her dinner recently of green beans, pumpkin, salmon, and a few kibbles was best during lockdown. It's the best since the The best thing she had. Yeah. Bless. I know. They do love something different too, don't they? And I'm constantly aware of the fact that, you know, to me, hell on earth is having to eat only what somebody else chooses for you yes. all the time. Yes. And and so, you know, I'm always aware that they want just a little bit of something different or something else or you said that um in the run up to doing mm. you mentioned that to doing this podcast and I've been thinking about it ever since. And that yep. is there's so profound, you know. Yes. It really is very profound. There's a lot to think about. In having somebody else choose everything for you would be grim, wouldn't it? Yeah. 
What are you reading? Because I know you'll be reading recipe books and cookery books and things. What have you read recently that you've enjoyed? Hmm, well, I've been reading memoirs. I mm. guess because I'm writing one. I've been reading memoirs. And they run the gamut between great and horrible. <laughs> even yep. people's lives. So and it doesn't even... We'll co- only hear about the good ones then. <laughs> yeah. So I'm trying to think there... Uh, well, I read something a few days ago. It was good, but sad. Mm. But it was really good to read. And that was a biography of uh, Tony Bourdain by, yes. by his, yeah. um, his assistant for many years. And, and that assistant interviewed all the friends and, so many people, including a few people that I knew, and um, yes. it was it was just so it made a huge impact. I I'm surprised it made such an impact on me, but it did. Was, it's sad, isn't it? Because he was so such sad. a talented man, but such a troubled person too. Obviously, which is tragic, isn't it? And yeah, it, it was just like oh, yeah, it was. So, you know, somebody could be so incredibly successful and he loved to write. So after that, yep. I've been reading a lot of his, uh, his own books and stories and what have you. Which I mean, he great. loved to write. Yes. And, and there, so I, I found lessons in that as well. He's a, he was a good That's writer. Yeah, yeah. Everything about the story was just heartbreaking. But when he actually had passed away several years ago, I just didn't focus on it at all until I read his biography. Yeah, and then it was like, oh my god! Oh no, it was. It was a sad, a very sad thing. But as is often the case, we don't really know what is going on in people's yeah. lives. Yeah, and, you know. And sometimes there, it's little things, and some, you know. Yeah. So, just sometimes, I mean, sometimes things never go away. Sometimes no. things from our childhood never go away. Yeah. And, you know, when people say, oh, get over it, I just want to slap them silly and just say, okay, <laughs> get away from me. <laughs> yeah. Never speak to me again. No. Because, you know, we're all, even Lamb Chop agrees. She says e- things happen when she was a puppy. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> um, true. And but, and they all have very different impacts on us all. And I think we have to be aware of that when you're dealing yeah, with other people yeah. too, don't you? But you know, there was another so, book that I really enjoyed and I'm trying to think of the name of it. And I can't, but it was about a couple <laughs> who got on a boat and took two years to sail around the Caribbean from Canada. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. That sounds good too. And that was lots of food, lots Yay. of fish. Yeah, but lots of adventures. Yeah, lots of good times. So this podcast is coming out in the week of Thanksgiving, but obviously you are in the UK, so I know Thanksgiving will be different for you from how it it is in years when you're able able to be in, in the US. Can you tell me what some of your favorite memories are of Thanksgiving? Well, it's funny because, you know, 
Thanksgiving and growing up and all the craziness of family. And there were good memories, but then there were also a patch of not very good memories. And um, my best memories were when my daughter was old enough to celebrate it with just me and our friends up here in the UK when she was in medical school up in Liverpool. And I would go there every Thanksgiving, make a big, a big, feast and we almost got arrested once picking leaves off the ground it was hilarious and and that really started our thanksgiving you know just yeah elation but but two years ago right before the lockdown the pandemic yeah two years ago we did thanksgiving in berkeley where they my daughter her husband and my grandson lived yeah. And that was so much fun. That was, I mean, that was just like so much fun. Okay, we had to have a few pesky relatives, but never mind. <laughs> <laughs> and what I wanted to do was, I mean, everything has to have a story. Oh, well, mm-hmm. like the, the Brussels sprouts that I serve with brown bread, butter and um, hazelnuts, toasted mm-hmm. hazelnuts. And that, those are just like, they're so good. Um, and that was based on um, a native dish. But anyway, the thing that was yeah. really fun, I thought, you know what? My little grandson, he was six at the time, no five. What does he love more than anything else in the world? Sweets. Well, he also loves pickles and kimchi. He is my grandson. Uh, He is, for certain. (laughs) Isn't that lovely? So I thought, you know, I'm going to make a jello mold. (laughs) And I mean, have you ever had a jello mold? Yes, yes. We we have a, a friend, too, who grew up. In or or some of her family were from the states, and she always does us a Christmas Jello mold with cranberries and yeah. and things in it. Yeah, and well, I made two different layers, red and green, because that was for the only flavors yep. of Jello I could get. Yeah, and I put in uh, sour cream and cottage cheese because I like that creaminess, and pineapple and cranberries, and so it was like all the green stuff and the yellow stuff. The pineapple was at one, and then the red stuff. Was that another? And it was it was neon, weird, <laughs> massive, kind of horrible. Everybody was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> but but just great flavors uh, in it. Oh, it was it was actually delicious. And my little grandson, he loved it so much. And it was That's like nice. because it was Thanksgiving, and because probably I would never make another jello mold. <laughs> It was like nobody said no to him. It was like you want Aww. you you have, and that was my favorite Thanksgiving at all of all. Oh, isn't that lovely? Yeah, to have had that memory too. That's really great, isn't it? And I think it's nice that these are recent memories, and you know, because that's you keeping it alive and and changing it and making it relevant to your family now. Exactly. I mean, which is great. Exactly. Yeah. 
So three favorite pieces of food or food equipment, three things that you would have to take if you were being sent to a desert island. Okay. Pairing knife. What are they going to be? A pairing knife. <laughs> yes. Very practical. Yeah. Yes. Because, you know, I might have to climb a tree and pick pineapples. Mm. I might need to kill a bear. Yep. I, pairing knife comes in handy for that. Yeah. <laughs> a, a pairing knife... I got to have, I might need to, you know, to mince vegetables and yep. <laughs> for my little yep. brunoise. So definitely <laughs> a paring knife. And then olive oil. I would yep. need a near, a nearly endless supply of olive oil. So a pipe with olive oil in it coming from somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, yeah. So it's like the bottle, once it reaches a certain point, the shipment of olive oil, it triggers the shipment and that <laughs> arrives. But then, oh yes. The third thing, definitely um, good salt. Yes. Because, you know, really beautiful, maybe sel gris, just yes. gorgeous sea salt because I'm on this island, desert island. I was but... going to say, could you not have got your own sea salt on oh, the yeah. island then? And I don't, and I make my own. I, almost wherever I've ever gone, if there's the sea, I make sea salt. But, oh, wonderful! But I was worried because I thought, well, what if you know they? What if I can make sea salt on this island? Right. I mean, so that so was salt is a, a yeah. key part. But yeah. I think, okay, probably we'll be able to have a sea salt. So maybe, maybe it's a toss up between really good chocolate and rose petal jam. <gasps> oh, wonderful! Oh no, and I am. I'm with you on both of those. So oh, I hope yeah. we're both on the same island. Yeah. Yes. And if you get three things, oh, and well, you get three. Yeah. We can agree who takes which one. Yeah. Oh, it'll be oh. great. We'll we'll just have we'll have a little restaurant going in no time. Yeah. Marlena, this has been lovely catching up with you and oh. having a chat with you and sh sharing some of your enthusiasm and passion for food. There is so much more that we could have touched on that I think I we'll know. have to have a second episode with you at some point. Absolutely. Because there are so many stories. So we'll definitely do that again. But thank you very, very much for giving me your time and agreeing to come on the podcast. It's just been super. Thank you, Jane. And Lamb Chop says thank you too. And happy Thanksgiving to you all next <sighs> thank week. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my podcast. Let me introduce you with Jane Milton. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you don't miss an episode. Please leave a comment to let us know what you've enjoyed or connect to us on social media at Jane Milton Food. If you found it interesting, please share the details with other food businesses you know. We always love meeting new food businesses. See you next episode. Thank you.